The Summer Book by Tove Johnson The Tent Sophia's grandmother had been a scout leader when she was young, and, in fact, it was thanks to her that little girls were even allowed to be scouts in those days. The girls never forgot what good times they had had, and they often wrote to grandmother and reminded her of this or that incident, or quoted a verse of some song they used to sing around the campfire. It all seemed a little out of date to grandmother now, and she thought the old girls were being just a bit sentimental, but she would think some friendly thoughts about them all the same. Then she'd think about how the scouting movement had grown too large and lost its personal touch, and then she'd forget the whole thing. Grandmother's children had never been scouts. No one had had the time somehow, and it never came up. One summer, Sophia's father bought a tent and put it up in the ravine so he could hide there if too many people came. The tent was so small that you had to crawl in on all fours. But inside, there was enough room for two if they lay close together. But no candles or lamps were allowed. Is it a scout tent? Sophia asked. Grandmother snorted. We sewed our own tents, she said, remembering what they had looked like, huge, sturdy, grayish-brown. <laughs> this was a toy, a bright yellow plaything for veranda guests, and not worth having. Isn't it a scout tent? asked Sophia anxiously. So, her grandmother said, maybe it was, after all, but a very modern one and they crawled in and lay down side by side. Now, you're not allowed to go to sleep, Sophia said. You have to tell me what it was like to be a scout, all the things you did. A very long time ago, Grandmother had wanted to tell about all the things they did, but no one had bothered to ask, and now she had lost the urge. We had campfires, she answered briefly, and suddenly... She felt sad. And what else? Uh, there was a log that burned for a long time. We sat around the fire. It was cold out. We ate soup. That's strange, Grandmother thought. I can't describe things anymore. I can't find the words. Or maybe it's just that I'm not trying hard enough. It was such a long time ago. No one here was even born, and unless I tell it because I want to, it's as if it never happened. It gets closed off, and then it's lost. She sat up and said, Some days I can't remember very well, but sometime you ought to try and sleep in a tent all night. Sophia carried her bedclothes to the tent. She closed the door to her little college cottage, and said goodbye as the sun went down. All by herself, she walked out to the ravine, which this evening had become an infinitely distant place, forsaken by God and man and scout, a wilderness, wilderness with an entire night ahead. She zipped shut the door of the tent and stretched out with the quilt up to her chin. The yellow tent glowed in the sunset, and suddenly it seemed very small and friendly. No one could look in, and no one could look out. She was wrapped 
in a cocoon of light and silence. Just as the sun disappeared, the tent turned red and she fell asleep. The nights were already long, and when Sophia woke up, there was nothing to see but the dark. A bird flew over the ravine and screamed, first close by and then once more far away. It was a windless night, yet she could hear the sea, and there was no one in the ravine, yet the gravel crunched as if under someone's foot. The sheltering tent had let in the night, as close, as close as if she'd been sleeping on the open ground. More birds cried in various ways, and the darkness was filled with strange movements and sounds, the kind no one can trace or account for, the kind no one can even describe. Oh, dear God, Sophia said, don't let me get scared. And immediately she started thinking about what it would be like to get scared. Oh, oh, dear God, don't let them make fun of me if I do get scared. She really listened for the first time in her life. And when she got out in the ravine, she noticed for the first time what the ground really felt like under her toes and the soles of her feet. It was cold, grainy, terribly complicated ground that changed as she walked. Gravel and wet grass and big flat stones. And every now and then some plant as high as a bush would brush against her legs. The ground was dark, but the sky had a faint gray light. The island had grown tiny, floating on the water like a drifting leaf. But there was a light in the guest room window. Sophia knocked very gently because every sound had become too large. How's it going? Grandmother asked. Good, Sophia said. She sat on the foot of the bed and looked at the lamp and the nets and the raincoats hanging on the wall, and her teeth stopped chattering, and she said, There's no wind at all. No, said Grandmother. It's quite calm. Grandmother had two blankets. If you put one of them down on the rug and got a cushion, it would make a bed. It wouldn't be like going back to the cottage. It was almost like outdoors. No. It was indoors, it really was, but even if she wasn't out in the tent all alone, nevertheless, she had been. She had slept outdoors. So many birds tonight, Grandmother said. There was another possibility. She could take a blanket and sleep on the veranda right next to the wall of the house. That would be outdoors and all alone. Oh, dear God. I couldn't sleep, Grandmother said, and I got to thinking about sad things. She sat up in bed and reached for her cigarettes. Sophia handed her the matches automatically, but she was thinking about other things. You've got two blankets, don't you? Sophia said. I mean, it all seems to shrink up and glide away, Grandmother said, and things that were a lot of fun don't mean anything anymore. It makes you feel cheated. Like, what was the point? At least you ought to be able to talk about it. Sophia was getting cold again, 
They had let her sleep in a tent, even though she was too little to sleep in a tent. None of them knew what it was like, and they had just let her sleep in the ravine all by herself. Oh, is that so? she said angrily. What do you mean, it's no fun? Oh, for heaven's sake, grandmother said. All I said was that when you're as old as I am, there are a lot of things you can't do anymore. That's not true. You do everything. You do the same things I do. Wait a minute, grandmother said. She was very upset. I'm not through. I know I do everything. I've been doing everything for an awfully long time, and I've seen and lived as hard as I could. And it's been unbelievable, I tell you, unbelievable. But now I have the feeling everything's gliding away from me, and I don't remember, and I don't care, and yet now is right when I need it. What don't you remember? asked Sophia anxiously. What it was like to sleep in a tent? her grandmother shouted. She stubbed out her cigarette and lay down and stared at the ceiling. In my country, in Sweden, girls had never been allowed to sleep in tents before, she said slowly. I was the one who made it so they could, and it wasn't easy. We had a wonderful time, and now I can't even tell you what it was like. The birds started screaming again. A big flock of them flew by, screaming steadily. The lamplight on the window made it look much darker outside than it really was. Well, I'll tell you what it's like, Sophia said. You can hear everything much clearer. And the tent is very small. She thought for a moment and then went on. It makes you feel very safe. And it's nice that you can hear everything. Yes, Grandmother said. You can hear everything outside. Sophia realized she was hungry and pulled the food box out from under the bed. They ate bread and sugar and cheese. I'm kind of sleepy, Sophia said, so I think I'll go back now. Do, Grandmother said. She turned out the lamp, and after the initial darkness, the room became lighter again, and she could see everything distinctly. Sophia went out and closed the door. When she had gone, Grandmother rolled up in her blanket and tried to remember what it had been like. She could remember better now, much better, in fact. New images came back to her, more and more of them. It was cold in the first light, but she fell sound asleep in her own warmth. The Summer Book by Tove Jansen of angleworms and others. One summer, Sophia was suddenly afraid of small animals, and the smaller they were, the more afraid she was. This was altogether new. Ever since the first time she trapped a spider in a matchbox in order to make it a pet, her summers had been full of caterpillars, tadpoles, worms, beetles, and similar uncompanionable creatures whom she provided with everything they could want from life, including, eventually, their freedom. Now everything was changed. She walked about with cautious, anxious steps, staring constantly at the ground, on the lookout for things that crept and crawled. Bushes were dangerous, and so were seagrass and rainwater. There were little animals everywhere. They could turn up between the covers of a book, flattened and dead, 
The fact is that creeping animals, tattered animals, and dead animals are with us all our lives from beginning to end. Grandmother tried to discuss this with her to no avail. Irrational terror is so hard to deal with. One morning, they found a strange bulb washed ashore on the sand. They decided to plant it outside the guest room. Sophia put her spade in the ground to make a hole. The spade cut an angleworm in two, and when she saw the two halves wreathing on the black earth, she threw down the spade, backed up against the wall of the house, and screamed. They'll grow out again, Grandmother said. They really will. They'll grow out again. It's all right. Believe me. She continued to talk about angleworms as she planted the bulb. Sophia calmed down, but she was still very pale. She sat silently on the veranda steps with her arms around her knees. You know, Grandmother said, I don't think anyone's ever taken a sufficient interest in angleworms. Someone who's really interested ought to write a book about them. That evening, Sophia asked whether some was spelled with an O or a U. Oh, said Grandmother. I'll never get anywhere with this book, said Sophia angrily. How can I think if I have to worry about spelling all the time? I lose my place and the whole thing's a mess. The book consisted of a lot of blank pages sewn together at the spine. She threw it on the floor. What's it called? Grandmother asked. A study of angleworms that have come apart. But I'll never get it written. Sit down somewhere and dictate, Grandmother said. I'll do the writing and you tell me what to write. We've got lots of time. Now, where did I put my glasses? It was a particularly good evening to begin a book. The setting sun threw plenty of light through the window and Grandmother opened to the first page, which already carried an illustration of an angleworm in two parts. The guest room was cool and quiet, and Papa sat working at his desk on the other side of the wall. I like it when he's working, Sophia said. I always know he's there. Read what I wrote. Chapter 1, Grandmother read. Some people fish with worms. Space, Sophia said. Now go on. I, I won't say what their names are, but it's not Papa. Now take your scared worm... It will pull itself together to, how much does it pull itself together? To say one-seventh of its original length? To say one-seventh of its length, which makes it little and fat and easy to stick on a hook through, which is not what it had in mind. But now take your smart worm. It makes itself as long as it can so there's nothing to stick a hook through. And then it comes apart. Science does not yet know if it just breaks or if the worm is being clever, because you can't always tell, but... Wait a minute, Grandmother said. How about if I put whether this is from overstretching or shows real intelligence? But put anything you want, said Sophia impatiently, just so they'll understand. Now don't interrupt. It goes on like this. The worm probably knows that if it comes apart, both halves will start growing separately. Space. But we don't know how much it hurts. And we don't know either if the worm is afraid, 
it's going to hurt. But anyway, it does have a feeling that something sharp is getting closer and closer all the time. This is instinct. And I can tell you this much. It's no fair to say it's too little or it only has a digestive canal. And so that's why it doesn't hurt. I am sure it does hurt, but maybe only for a second. Now take the smart worm that made itself long and came apart in the middle. That may have been like pulling a tooth, for example, except it, it didn't hurt. When it had calmed its nerves, it could tell right away it was shorter, and then it saw the other half right beside it. Let me make this a little easier to understand by putting it this way. Both halves fell down on the ground, and the person with the hook went away. They couldn't grow back together because they were terribly upset. And then, of course, they didn't stop to think either, and they knew that by and by they'd grow out again, both of them. I think they looked at each other and thought they looked awful and then crawled away from each other as fast as they could. Then they started to think. They realized that from now on, life would be quite different. But they didn't know how, that is, in what way. Sophia lay down on the bed and stared at the ceiling and thought. It was getting dark in the guest room and Grandmother got up to light the lamp. Don't! Sophia said, don't light the lamp. Use a flashlight. Listen, is presumably right? Yes, grandmother said. She turned on the flashlight and put it down on the night table and waited. Presumably, everything that happened to them after that only seemed like half as much. But this was also sort of a relief. And then, too, nothing they did was their fault anymore somehow. They just blamed each other, or else they'd say that after a thing like that, you just weren't yourself anymore. There is one thing that makes it more complicated, and that is that there is such a big difference between the front end and the back end. A worm never goes backwards, and so for that reason, it has its head only at one end. But if God made angleworms so they come apart and then grow out again, why... There must be some sort of secret nerve that leads out the back end so that later on it can think. Otherwise, it couldn't get along by itself. But the back end has a very tiny brain. It can probably remember its other half, which went first and made all the decisions. And so now, said Sophia sitting up, now the back end says, Which way should I grow out? Should I make a new tail or should I make a new head? Should I go on following and never have to make any important decisions, or should I be the one who always knows best until I come apart again? That would be exciting. But maybe he's so used to being the tail that he just lets things go on the way they are. Did you write everything I said? Every word, Grandmother said. Now comes the end of the chapter. But maybe the front end thinks it's nice not having anything to drag around behind it. But who knows, because it's hard to tell. Nothing is easy when you might come apart in the middle at any moment. But no matter what you think, you should never fish with worms. There, said Grandmother, end of book and the end of the paper too. That's not the end at all, Sophia said. Now comes chapter two. But 
I'll work on that tomorrow. How do you think it sounds? Very persuasive. I think so too, Sophia said. Maybe people will learn something from it. They continued the following evening under the heading of other pitiful animals. Small animals are a great problem. I wish God had never created small animals or else that he had made them so they could talk or else that he'd given them better faces. Space. Take moths. They fly at the lamp and burn themselves. Then they fly right back again. Can't be instinct because that isn't the way it works. They just don't understand, so they go right on doing it. Then they lay on their backs and all their legs quiver, and then they're dead. Did you get all that? Does it sound good? Very good, grandmother said. Sophia stood up and shouted, Say this. Say, I hate everything that dies slow. Say, I hate everything that won't let you help. Did you write that? Yes, I've got it. Now, now come to Daddy Longlegs. I do a lot of thinking about Daddy Longlegs. You can't ever help them without breaking two of their legs. No, write three of their legs. Why can't they pull in their legs? Write, when little kids bite the dentist, it's the dentist who gets hurt. Wait a minute. Sophia thought for a moment with her face in her hands. Write, fish, she said. And then a space. Little fish die slower than big fish. And yet, people aren't nearly as careful about the little fish. They let them lie around on the rocks for a long time and breathe air. And that's like holding somebody's head underwater. And the cat, Sophia went on, how do you know it starts from the head? Oh, why don't you make sure the fish are dead? The, the cat might be tired, and maybe the fish doesn't taste good, and so it starts from the tail, and that makes me scream. And I scream when you salt them, and when the water's so hot it makes them jump. I won't eat fish like that, and it serves you right. You, you dictate too fast, Grandmother said. Shall I put it, serves you right? No, Sophia said. This is a book. Stop after it makes them jump. She was silent for a while, and then she went on. Chapter 3, Space. I will eat crayfish, but I don't want to watch when they're cooking them because crayfish are awful when they're being cooked, so you have to be very careful. That's true, said Grandmother and giggled. Jesus, Sophia burst out. This is serious. Don't say anything right. I hate field mice. No, right? I hate field mice, but I don't like it when they die. They make tunnels in the ground, and then they eat up Papa's bulbs, and they teach their children to make tunnels and eat bulbs, and at night they all sleep with their arms around each other. They don't know they're unfortunate creatures. Is that a good word? Excellent, said Grandmother, riding as fast as she could. And then they get poison corn or else they get their hind legs caught in a trap. That's good that they get caught or their stomachs get poisoned and explode, but what are we supposed to do? Right, what are we supposed to do since we can't ever punish them until they've already done something and then it's too late anyway? It's a hard problem, 
They have more children every 20 minutes. Every 20 days, Grandmother muttered. And they teach their children, not just field mice, all the little animals that teach their children. And there get to be more and more of them, and they all teach their children, and so they're all brought up wrong. And the worst ones are the ones that are so small, they're all over the place, and you, you don't see them till you've already stepped on them, and sometimes you don't even see them then. But, you know, so you have to be a bad conscience anyway. Well, whatever you do, it's just as bad. So the best thing is not to do anything at all, or else... Think about something else. The end. Is there enough room for an illustration? Yes, Grandmother said. You draw it, Sophia said. How does it all sound? Shall I repeat it? No, Sophia said. No, I don't think so. I don't have time right now, but you can save it for my children. Chapter 22 of the Summer Book, August, Part 1. Every year, the bright Scandinavian summer nights fade away without anyone's noticing. One evening in August, you have an errand outdoors, and all of a sudden, it's pitch black. A great, warm, dark silence surrounds the house. It is still summer, but the summer is no longer alive. It has come to a standstill. Nothing withers, and fall is not ready to begin. There are no stars yet, just darkness. The can of kerosene is brought up from the cellar and left in the hall, and the flashlight is hung up on its peg beside the door. Not right away, but little by little, and incidentally, things <clears throat> begin to shift position in order to follow the progress of the seasons. Day by day, everything moves closer to the house. Sophia's father takes in the tent and the water pump. He removes the buoy and attaches the cable to a cork float. The boat is pulled ashore on its cradle and the dory is hung upside down behind the woodyard. And so fall begins. A few days later, they dig the potatoes and roll the water barrel up against the wall of the house. Buckets and garden tools move in toward the house. Ornamental pots disappear. Grandmother's parasol and other transitory and attractive objects all change places. The fire extinguisher and the axe, the pick and the snow shovel appear at the veranda. And at the same time, the whole landscape is transformed. Grandmother had always liked this great change in August. Most of all, perhaps, because of the way it never varied. A place for everything and everything in its place. Now was the time for the traces of habitation to disappear and, as far as possible, for the island to return to its original condition. The exhausted flower beds were covered with banks of seaweed. The long rains did their leveling and rinsing. All the flowers still in bloom were either red or yellow, strong patches of color above the seaweed. In the woods were a few enormous white roses that blossomed and lived for one day in breathless splendor. Grandmother's eggs, legs ached, which may have been due to the rain, and she couldn't walk around the island as much as she wanted to. But she went out for a little while every day just before dark, 
and tidied up the ground. She picked up everything that had to do with human beings. She gathered nails and bits of paper and cloth and plastic, pieces of lumber covered with oil spill, and an occasional bottle top. She went down to the shore and built fires where everything burnable could go right ahead and burn. And all the time, she felt the island growing cleaner and cleaner and more and more foreign and distant. It's shaking us off, she thought. It will soon be uninhabited, almost. The nights got darker and darker. There was an unbroken chain of navigational lights and beacons along the horizon, and sometimes big boats thumped by in the channel. The sea was motionless. When the ground was clean, Sophia's father painted all the ring bolts with red lead, and one warm, rainless day, he soaked the veranda with seal fat. He oiled the tools and the hinges and swept the chimney. He put away the nets. He stacked wood against the wall by the stove for next spring and for anyone who might be shipwrecked on the island. And he tied down the woodshed with ropes because it stood so near the high water mark. We have to take in the flower stakes, Grandmother said. They spoil the landscape. But Sophia's father let them be, for otherwise he wouldn't know what was there in the ground when they came back. Grandmother worried about a lot of things. So suppose someone lands here, she said. They always do. They wouldn't know the coarse salt is in the cellar and the trapdoor may have swelled from the damp. We have to bring up the salt and label it so they won't think it's sugar. And we ought to put out some more pants. There's nothing worse than wet pants. What if they hang their nets over the flower bed and trample it all down? You never know about roots. A little later, she started worrying about the stovepipe and put up a sign. Don't close the damper. It might rust shut. If it doesn't draw, there may be a bird's nest in the chimney later on in the spring, that is. But we'll be back by then, Sophia's father said. You never know about birds, grandmother said. She took down the curtains a week early and covered the south and east windows with disposable paper bed sheets on which she wrote, Don't remove the window covers or the fall birds will try to fly right through the house. Use anything you need, but please carry in some more wood. They are, there are tools under the workbench. Enjoy yourselves. Why are you in such a rush? Sophia asked. And her grandmother answered that it was a good idea to do things before you forgot what, what had to be done. She set out cigarettes and candles in case the lamp didn't work, and she hid the barometer, the sleeping bags, and the seashell box under the bed. Later she brought out the barometer again. She never hid the figurine. Grandmother knew no one understood sculpture, and she thought it wouldn't hurt them to be exposed to a little culture. She also made Papa leave the rugs on the floor so the room wouldn't look unfriendly over the winter. Covering two of the windows changed the room, made it secretive and conspiratorial, and at the same time, very lonely. Chapter 22 of The Summer Book, Part 2 Grandmother polished the handle on the door and scoured the garbage pail. The next day, she washed all her clothes out beside the woodyard. 
Then she was tired and went to the guest room. The guest room grew very crowded with the approach of fall. It was a good place to put all sorts of things that were waiting for spring or were no longer needed. Grandmother liked being surrounded by practical, commonplace things. And before she went to sleep, she studied everything around her. Nets, nail kegs, coils of steel wire and rope, sacks full of peat, and other important items. With an odd kind of tenderness, she examined the nameplates of boats long since broken up, some storm indications that had been written on the wall, penciled data on dead seals they had found and a mink they had shot. And she dwelled particularly on the pretty picture of the hermit in his open tent against, against a sea of desert sand with his guardian lion in the background. How can I ever leave this room, she thought. It wasn't easy to get into the room and take her clothes off and open the window for the night air, but finally she could lie down and stretch her legs. She blew out the light and listened to Sophia and her father getting ready for bed on the other side of the wall. There was a smell of tar and wet wool and maybe a trace of turpentine, and the sea was still quiet. As grandmother fell asleep, she remembered the chamber pot under the bed and how much she hated it, this symbol of helplessness. She had accepted it out of pure politeness. A chamber pot is nice to have when it's storming or raining, but the next day you have to carry it clear down to the water, and anything that is to be hidden is a burden. When she woke up, she lay for a long time and wondered if she should go out or not felt as if the night had come right up to the walls and was waiting outside, and her legs ached. The stairs were badly constructed, the steps were too high and too narrow, and then came the rock, which was slippery down toward the woodyard, and then you had to come all the way back again. No sense in lighting a light, it only makes you lose your sense of direction and distance, and the darkness comes closer. Swing your legs over the edge of the bed and wait for your balance to come right. Four steps to the door and open the latch and wait again. Then five steps down, holding the handrail. Grandmother wasn't afraid of falling or losing her way, but she knew the darkness was absolute. And she knew what it was like when you lose your hold and there's nothing left to go by. All the same, she said to herself, I know perfectly well what everything looks like. I don't have to see it. She swung her legs over the edge of the bed and waited for a moment. She took the four careful steps to the door and opened the latch. The night was black, but no longer so warm. There was a fine, sharp chill. She went down the stairs very slowly, turned away from the house, and let go of the railing. It wasn't as hard as she'd expected. As she crouched in the woodyard. She knew exactly where she was where the house and the sea and the woods were. From far off in the channel came the thump of a boat sailing past, but she couldn't see the channel lights. Grandmother sat down on the chopping stump to wait for her balance. It came quickly, but she stayed where she was. The coastal freighter was headed east to Kotka. The sound of its diesel motors gradually died, and the night was as quiet as before. It smelled of fall. A new boat approached, a small boat, 
probably running on gasoline. It might be a herring boat with an automobile engine, but not this late at night. They always went out right after sunset. In any case, it wasn't in the channel, but heading straight out to sea. It's slow thumping past the island and continued out farther and farther away, but never stopping. <laughs> Isn't that funny, grandmother said. It's only my heart. It's not a herring boat at all. For a long time, she wondered if she should go back to bed or stay where she was. She guessed she would stay for a while. <laughs>